the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Love on purpose, because you're not getting very far without love. How did Jesus start his ministry? Does anybody remember when it started? Did he start with a big tent revival or a crusade? Did he have a big blowout and he have a TV show and start with a radio advertisement? No. He was simply baptized into John's baptism, and then the Father baptized him in the Holy Ghost. And you remember, right after that happened, what happened? Does anybody remember? A voice came down from heaven and said what? This is my beloved son, and who I am well pleased. So his ministry was confirmed the moment it started. And what was it confirmed by? He called him beloved. What does that mean? Love. He was loved. So Jesus, he spent some time in the wilderness preparing his heart for the tough days ahead, right? He's tempted of the devil, and he he whoops that devil. He realizes he has authority over him, and devil says, I better just leave this guy alone. Jesus goes out, and what does he do? Then he has the crusade, right? He, then he has the, no. He goes around uh, choosing disciples one at a time. He goes around small stuff, preaching in the synagogues, the local synagogues. He goes around, you know, Jesus stuff, casting out devils and healing folks, because the power was with Jesus, Right? I mean, though he was not trying to make himself big. In fact, if you look at the Gospels, he's always trying to calm everything. Don't tell everybody because we won't be able to handle the crowds. But the love of God in Jesus began to go around healing the sick and, and setting the captives free and teaching and preaching and raising up leaders and raising the dead. You know, a little simple stuff. Do you, do you realize that the Bible says the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do? Because I go to the Father. Where is he at? At the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit that baptized Jesus can baptize us. And we can see people raised from the dead. Now, I don't, I don't know if we need to run down to the funeral home or nothing like that. but People can be raised from the spiritual dead here today. That'll preach, won't it? That's the greatest miracle of all, to see somebody raised from their spiritual death. But anyway, he's just sending out disciples. He's raising up people. He's doing the same thing that we're talking about doing, raising up leaders and teaching them. You remember the wheel that we talked about, the graph? How we get people to, to begin to connect and develop and mobilize? Just raising up, discipling. Because he tells us to go into all the world and disciple. And so he begins to send them out two by two, and they're reaching one people at a time, one person at a time. And then, check this out. The king, King Herod, hears about this rising superstar Jesus. He said, I got to meet this cat. Send him to me. I can imagine I wasn't there, and it doesn't say in the Bible, but can you imagine Jesus' disciples? 
the king wants to see you, Jesus. Man, we've got an audience with the king. What are we going to say? What are we going to wear? Come on, Jesus, let's get ready. We need to be heading that way. You know, this, this could be big. This, is, this could make you big, Jesus. You could be on the news and stuff. If you get the king's approval, I mean, this could lead to a book deal. You could make a name for yourself. <laughs> Can you imagine how excited? And that would have, you know, would have given him a lot of credibility. That's the way a lot of ministries start today. But what does Jesus do? Well, we'll discuss it a little bit later. Now, we're going to get right to our message, love on purpose. Love is required of us. Would you agree with that statement? What does God require of us? Well, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's required of us. And then the great commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. Why? Because of that love. Because we can't hold that love in. We've got to share it with somebody. So the great commandment and the great commission, the two greats, are wrapped up, enveloped, and empowered by the very love of God. So it's only fitting that we speak about love every now and then, right? I can, I can see some of your eyes, oh, we're going to talk about love today. We, we hadn't heard that in a while, you know. So. <laughs> You should have just let Van preach. He was going real good. <laughs> and I started to, Van. That was good. But love is what sets us apart. We cannot get enough teaching on love. Jesus said, this is how you shall know my disciples. What? In John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's how they know we're different. You know, the world's got bells and whistles and screens and tablets and all the the fancy gadgets and stuff, but we have the meats. We have the meat. We have the key to unlock what people's hearts really want, the message that they are loved by their creator. We have the meat. I mean, that other stuff may satisfy temporarily. It may get them addicted. It may get them excited for a moment, but it's going to fade. But the joy of the Lord, it will remain. The peace that passes all understanding that will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus will remain. We have the answer that they're looking for. So this is on, if you're filling out your thing, every now and then I write down a question or something for you to help me along with. It says there's one question we can ask that will always steer us in the right direction. Does anybody know what it is? What would love do? You know, we had the bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? But that's the same thing. Jesus is love. But if you have a dilemma in your life, say there's a confrontation between you and another person, there's strife, and you don't know how to approach it, ask yourself, what would love do? What is required of me? How would I handle this? You can't go wrong with love. You may be mocked because you love and you turn the other cheek and get smacked twice. But you know you can't go wrong with love. And we need to stop and ask ourselves that question every now and then. 
Don't you agree? If there is a situation, if you have any situation in your life right now that you don't know the answer, ask yourself, what would love do? And it'll definitely color you and influence you in the right direction. So love is required. What does love require? I wrote it must be our driving force. It's our should be our priority number one. A Christian's life should be led and followed up by love. Permeated in every sense of the word. Go ahead and turn. Oh no, not another First Corinthians thirteen message. First Corinthians thirteen. Probably many of you could quote this without looking it up. But the moment that I, I begin to sense that we've got it and we're doing this, then maybe we can move on. When I know that I'm doing all this, <laughs> then I know that the rapture has already taken place. <clears throat> and I'm standing before God and I'll see him as he is and I'll be like him. But until then, I gotta keep looking at this. I gotta keep meditating on this. I gotta keep seeing it. I gotta keep being it. First Corinthians 13, chapter 1. If I could speak all the angels, oh, oh Lord. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, nothing you can say without love is going to rise above the level of just background noise. It's not going to, it's going to, not going to move the bar an inch. Verse 2 says, if I had the gift of prophecy, which would be nice, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all of knowledge, how wonderful. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be what? Nothing. So even a good godly performance, a good godly performance, apart from love, fails to open a single door in the halls of eternity. It just doesn't do anything for God. You can possess all of his qualities and his gifts, but apart from love, they are just a shell. They, they must be sustained by his love. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Our pious contributions lacking love never add to our standing with God. He's not impressed. Love is patient and kind. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. Anybody see that movie? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Man, I've messed all of those up just this morning. Some of you can attest. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love calls you to a life greater 
than self could ever find. You see, we have these two opposing forces, self and love. So who are we to love? It's easy to love the little cooing babies, isn't it? Who are we to love? Look at your neighbor and say, everybody. <laughs> Look at your other neighbor and say, each other. <laughs> For God so loved the world. See, he, he didn't make any distinctions. He just said the whole world. I just, I just love them all. Some of us, we love our family. I've seen people say, I just love kids, but what they really mean is they love their own kids. <laughs> Let somebody else's kid bite their kid, and we're going to see how much they love other kids. <laughs> right? <laughs> God loves everyone. So I got a question. This is on your sheet. What moral authority do we have to pick and choose? But pastor, man, that dude's a serial killer. He's in ISIS. Oh, man. You know, some people hate God, but he still loves them. He doesn't stop loving them. God is love. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. He died for us. Not when we got right and said, okay, God, I... No, he was on the cross while you were up there using his name as a cuss word and mocking him and thinking, you don't need him. I'll never need that crutch of religion and all the silly things that we were saying. It's not our job to sort people out. It's our job to love them. The angels will sort them out in the end. That'll get taken care of. The, the wheat and the chaff will be separated. But, you know, maybe if we loved a few more people, maybe there would be less chaff in the world. Because love is the power that makes the difference. Can I get an amen? amen? Go ahead and turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard it said... Or you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is Jesus talking. But I say, love your enemies. Oh, come on, Jesus. My enemies? Really? Pray for those who persecute you. Oh, man, but they're persecuting me. In that way, you will be acting like true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. He's given everybody a fair shot. He's not playing favorites. He's given everybody his love. And, and then it's, it's up to them what they do with it. It's not our responsibility what they do with what we give them. It's our responsibility to love. God loves people and he created people to be loved. That's why he created, so he could have somebody to shower his affection on. He created people to be loved. Personhood, because you are a person, is reason enough for us to care for one another. 
No matter what you may think of their ideologies or their belief system or what religion they belong to or all the other things that we make it about, the silly and divisions, don't you know that comes from the pit of hell? Now, now I'm not saying that we love the ugly things people do because we're not to love the ugly things people do. But we can love the sinner and hate the sin at the same time. I know you've heard that statement, but it's true. We can love the sinner without loving their sin. Love is probably the cure for all the ugly things that they do. Why do you think they're being so ugly because nobody shows them any love? Maybe love would, I know love would turn them around. It turned me around. Did it turn, what was it that turned you around? Was it the goodness of God or was it something else? Was it somebody pointing a finger in your face and telling you how stupid you are and how wrong you are? Did somebody argue you into believing in Jesus? Was it an intellectual agreement all of a sudden that, oh, you're right, I must, I must serve this God? Or was it an understanding? Somebody showed you some love that that triggered something deep in the recesses of who you are as a human. That unlocked something that you didn't know that you wanted. That you needed. You were trying to fill it with those gadgets and those screens and whatever and relationships and addictions and whatever. But it was knowing that your creator loves you enough to die for you was what broke you down and turned you around and set your feet on solid ground, praise the Lord. So how does love act? If I see somebody loving, I'll let you know. <laughs> no. I don't know how to explain it all, but I would say one thing is love never says that's not fair. You won't catch love saying, that's not fair. Love spends its gas on people. Love spends its time, its resources. Love will give up a couple of vacation days to go on a mission trip, to go with the children to children's camp. Love sacrifices it cares enough to go get somebody and bring them to church. Not just be warm and be fed and hope you can make it to church. No, I'll be over there Sunday morning. I know you don't want to go, but really, I'll be there just in case. <laughs> what if we were radical like that? Man, they would, have to, they would have to say they're crazy, but they are full of love. <laughs> love goes, gets people, and brings them to the hospital like Miss Becky White did last couple weeks ago. Brought a dying man to the hospital so he could have just a moment of relief from the pain he was suffering. We must learn to deal with the weight of self. Now, I'm not talking about some diet program. <laughs> I'm talking about the importance we place on taking care of me. 
because we all got that down. We wouldn't have to preach any sermons on the importance of me, <laughs> would we? No, I can follow you to the, to the Walmart when you're trying to bump somebody out of line. When's the last time you tried to skip in line, but you wasn't trying to get in front, you was trying to let somebody else in front of you? <laughs> wow. We've got to learn to deal with the weight of self. You know, I was in a public restroom the other day in, in one of the little cubicle things, and I was sitting there, and I heard a voice in the cubicle next to me. I, I usually don't hear voices in the cubicle next to me. He said, he said how you doing? I, All right. So what are you up to? Just sitting here. He said, can I come over? I said, I'm kind of busy. He said, listen, I have to call you back. There's an idiot next door answering all my questions. <laughs> it ain't always about you. Look at your neighbor and tell him it ain't always about you. <laughs> That did not really happen. That was a, a joke. Nobody could sit in the cubicle next to me. No. I knew I had to take it too far, didn't I, Angie? I, just had to. I, I thought about running that joke past her first, but I knew she wouldn't approve, so I didn't. How would putting others first change your home life, your job relationships, wherever you hang out? How would putting love first make a change there? Think about it. You know your situations, where you're at. You may have one of those crazy jobs where everybody hates everybody, and, man, everybody's writing everybody up, and you know. <laughs> but let me say this. Self, self, over love will never give you that marriage that you dream to have. It just won't do it. As long as self is a controlling agent in your life, you will not have the marriage that you, ha you long to have. When self is over love in your household, you'll not have the relationship with your kids that you, you're longing for. You want to be close to them. You want to ask my son. <laughs> We don't even talk, no. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. He's smiling. But, but love is the thing that brings people together. Self, it's a black mark on your character, on your reputation, on any legacy that you may ever desire to leave behind. Self over others is a guarantee of a life misspent. It's a life wasted. A life of self is a life wasted. Love is clearly the most active ingredient in those with happy and satisfied lives. You see somebody, you're like, man, I wish I could be like them. They, don't let, they just let everything roll off their back. They, 
They got joy all the time. It seems like they get along with everybody. They're not moody. They're not up and down all the time. How do they do it? They're people who are concentrating on living out the love of God. And you know, you know where you get the love of God? It's in the presence of God. It's spending time with Jesus. That's where it comes from. We love him because he first loved us. That's where love comes from. That's where love emanates from. That's where we get love is in the presence of God. So if you're spending time with God, then you're gonna, your love walk is going to change. If you're not hesitant to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 for the millionth time, get ready for your love life to change. How would putting others first change this church? I think we got a very, very loving church. But there's always room for improvement. You know, I remember I came here for years. But I almost remember when the light bulb went off that, what if I'm not here just to get blessed? What if, I, there's, what if I, I'm here to be a blessing in this church? I remember when that light bulb went off. When you, when you realize that, that's when you are on your way towards mobilization. Would you show that graph thing? She said, I had no idea there was such a graph thing. <laughs> it's on the desktop there. There you go, just make it big. We talked about this last, last Sunday, right? Okay, we're gathering. That's, that's the Sunday morning. That's where we are right now. We're gathering. And we're trying. It says movement equals growth. If you want your church to grow, you need to be having movement in that circle, clockwise. There always needs to be movement. We, cannot, we can have the same amount of people in here, but if people are moving from one station to the other, growth is coming. Growth is coming. Movement equals growth, but it's love that creates the movement. We will not, nobody's going to the next step without love. Because when we gather on a Sunday, without love, without learning to love Jesus, without explaining the love of Jesus, they're not going to connect to Jesus. Without us loving them, they won't be back. And we won't get a chance to connect with one another. So love is the key ingredient to connecting. And once they connect, it's the love that compels them to begin to get involved and work in the nursery or whatever. That love is, is causing you to want to develop. And there's people that have to develop those, those people. And it's because of the love of Jesus that they're willing to take them under their wing and to disciple them. So love is creating the movement towards developing. Once you begin to develop, you, you realize the joy of this love and giving stuff, you want to mobilize and go get other people to come back to the gathering next Sunday. See, it's, it's in us. The seed is in us. The seed that will take us to an international church with church plants all over the world changing lives by the billions is in you. That love, and just one of us could do it. But together, as we grow together in love, we are going to make this circle. 
And we're going to keep making this circle with more and more people. It's so simple. Does that make sense? Love at church makes people feel more at home, cared for, makes them feel secure, special. Go ahead and turn to Luke 7, verse 44. Jesus is at Simon's house. Simon's a Pharisee. He's eating in a Pharisee's house. And there's this sinful woman in town that this Pharisee would never even let on his lawn, right? But she knows Jesus is there, and so somehow she sneaks past the front door, slithers her her way into the room where Jesus is, and crawls up to his feet and breaks open this expensive box, this alabaster box of perfume. They say it probably was worth about a year's wages. It might have been that she sold everything that she had to purchase this, for this moment, to be at the king's feet. She broke it open and poured the perfume on his feet. And she wept and kissed his feet until his feet were wet with her tears and her kisses. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. And she loved on Jesus. And then in verse 44, it says, Jesus turned to the woman and he said to Simon. I think it's interesting that he doesn't turn to Simon and say to Simon. He turns to the woman because he probably can't keep his eyes off of this beautiful thing that is happening to him. And he says to Simon with his eyes on this woman, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. What kind of church would we be if we began to express the amount of love for the things that we've been forgiven? Because you see, he mentioned those forgiven little, but really none of us have been forgiven little. We've always, all of us have been forgiven much. And if in appreciation to that, our love was in comparison, what kind of church would we be? Let me ask you a question. What is your soul crying out for? Your soul's crying out to be loved, right? You know that now because you've seen it in the Word of God. You you realize that. You've learned to quench your thirst with that everlasting water, with the presence and the love of Jesus. You've learned what your soul longs after. But other people don't know that. And why would we withhold it from them? When whatsoever we sow, that will we also reap. When we're giving love to others, we're getting more love in return. 
to satisfy us even more. It is snowballing in the right direction. Loving others causes you to feel more complete and loved. Whatsoever man soweth, that will he also reap. We love him because he first loved us. We can't see Jesus and not recognize the power of his love. We can't spend time with him and not be inspired to love. His word is the original love story, and you are the principal love interest in the love story, and he is the leading character. And in the final scene, when Jesus is riding on into Jerusalem on that humble little donkey, showing no pretense, no, no crusade, no TV show, no glitter, no gold chairs to sit in, no Rolexes, no designer suits, because love is not boastful or proud. 1 Corinthians 13. He teaches, he preaches, he heals, he tells the truth, and he upsets people. But before the week is over, he eats the Passover meal with his best friends who remain remarkably clueless. <laughs> he had been with them for three years telling them the things that are going to transpire. They just can't get it. And he's telling them again. And he's like, but love is not irritable. Love bears all things. 1 Corinthians 13, right? So he tells them again. He exhorts them once again to love one another. He keeps telling them. Sort of like pastors keep telling us. He gets on his knees and he washes their feet. He washes his, washes his, he washes his Judas's feet. I want you to think about that for a moment. Judas is fixing to get up and go out of there in a minute and betray him into the hands of sinners where he will suffer beyond comprehension because of that treasonous act. And Jesus kneels down in front of Judas with a bowl of water and washes his nasty feet. Because love keeps no record of being wronged. 1 Corinthians 13. He institutes the Lord's Supper, basically saying, don't forget about me, because love is always hopeful. He goes to the garden with a couple of his disciples, takes them a little bit further. He's in mental anguish. He sweats, as it were, great drops of blood because he has a choice to make. What choice did he make? We know what choice he made because love does not demand its own way. 1 Corinthians 13. When he finishes praying, he goes to leave and he's betrayed with a kiss from a man who had traveled with him for three years and ate from the same bowl. He is deserted then by all the rest of his disciples. Everyone, everyone leaves. At that point, I would have maybe thought to myself, well, what good is this? 
But love never gives up. 1 Corinthians 13. So they take him, they bind him, they mistreat him. He endures a sleepless night where he undergoes three unjust trials, mock trials, mockery of justice. You know how you feel about injustice, right? Well, he was slapped and taunted and spat upon and lied about by his own Jewish people, but he didn't fight back. Why? Because love turns the other cheek. Not 1 Corinthians 13, but it's true. He hears that morning as he's leaving and being brought to Pilate, I think it is, for the next trial, he hears his best friend, pretty much, Peter, deny that he even knows him. Mm. Peter, to whom love would later, later be patient and kind. That, 1 Corinthians 13. So he's brought to Pilate, and the same masses of people who had laid down palm branches and shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and now shout, crucify him! Would you crucify your king? Yes, let his blood be upon us. They release a murderer instead of Jesus. But love is not jealous. For this is exactly why he came, to give his life as a ransom, the just for the unjust. So they haul him off. He's brutally beaten with a lead-tipped whip within an inch of his life. He's mocked by the Roman soldiers, and there's a crown of thorns pressed upon his head. But love never loses faith. He's hanging in there. He bears our cross through the city up the hill called Golgotha until he basically physically collapses. And they have to get another man, Simon the Cyrenian, to help bear his cross. But he gets back up. Why? Because love never gives up. 1 Corinthians 13. They drive nails through his hands and his feet and they lift up God Almighty on a common cross with common thieves. Who too would also mock and deride him in this moment? The first words out of his mouth, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The second phrase uttered from his mouth from the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. The third thing he does, take care of my mama. John, behold your mother. He takes care of mama. Every thought from the cross is about you. He's thinking about you. For six hours, he endures the most horrendous torture ever de devised by the depraved, depravity of the human mind. And he bears the wrath of God that we deserved. We were the ones who deserved this. Mercifully, he, after six hours, he breathes his last. And we get a picture of what, it, what he meant when he says, greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. But that's not enough. They still jab him with a spear. They want to get every last drop of his blood to hit the ground, and it does. 
Then he experiences the darkness of a tomb that we had reserved. One that we had phoned in with our credit card. We had reserved that tomb by our actions, by our lifestyles, by our inability to love one another. Then God said, that's enough. My wrath is settled. Love is won. Rise, my son. Because you were willing to go to the lowest parts of the earth, I'm going to highly exalt you and give you a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Love wins out. All through that story, you're thinking, man, the devil has won. It's over with. Hatred is too much. But God is the judge, and God said love has won. And love will always win. Because love rejoices when the truth wins out. 1 Corinthians 13. So does Jesus start to celebrate? He say, fire up the barbecue pit in heaven? No, no, he ain't got time for that. He's just been through all that. Now he's seven miles down the road to Emmaus, chasing down two wayward disciples who have lost their way and lost their hope because love loves and loves some more. He keeps on loving because love never gives up. 1 Corinthians 13. And the story continues here today. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.